Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 406, NFL Championship Weekend Preview. Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. Welcome into our NFL Championship Game Preview. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Looking forward to the weekend. Obviously, as a Niners fan, it's a uh, it's an exciting time. Niners hat on again. Look at them. Two podcasts in a row, same hat. Don't see that too often with Eddie. That that is true. He's it's a man of fairly... many hats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both literally and figuratively. But it's a fairly new hat. I took the risk. You know, I'm a very superstitious person. I took the risk of throwing on the hat for the first time last Saturday Oof. for the game. Wow. It was it was a type of move I would not normally make. So this hat might have caused that punt return punt block return for a touchdown. If you had told me you'd put it on that drive, I'd be really impressed. <laughs> Did you like turn it around during that drive? Yeah. Flip flip it from front to back? Yeah, I treated it like a rally cap at one point, put it inside out on my head and stuff. I'm also getting in on the apparel fun of the playoffs. I ordered my When Times Are Grim, Be the Grim Reaper t-shirt. And then I also ordered one for my mom with that. Hers has a Patrick Mahomes picture on it because she's a huge Mahomes fan. So I don't know if we'll get them in time. Hers seems to be closer to being delivered. Mine, I haven't even gotten a confirmation email yet, so I'm not too optimistic. Uh, do you know <laughs> Do you know if the t-shirts even exist? I don't mean in the sense, I'm not saying it's a scam, but I bet you they do. You like, you're trying to, in a rush to take care of the, like take advantage of the fact that it's pretty topical. It wouldn't surprise me if they almost like make mock-ups before they're even in a position to physically make and ship out the t-shirts. Yeah, I so I believe they exist, but I think you're right. I think they mocked them up and then probably were starting production the day. I ordered it two days after, so they hopefully already had them being printed, but they were from like legit sites that have other t-shirts. It's not just like a site that popped up that has one t-shirt on it. So that's why I bought them from like Etsy stores and stuff like that that have other ratings and things like that. But yeah, we will see when when we get them. I'm not hopeful I get mine, but I yeah, I'll just have to wait to the Super Bowl because I can wear it then. <laughs> wow, you're just laying down the Duke of curse on the Chiefs. What a <laughs> statement. You just grim reapered the Chiefs playoff hopes. <laughs> you know what Andy Reid's saying right now? <laughs> you just got Duke of curse. Times are too grim to be the grim reaper. Just just <laughs> dig your hole and lie in it. <laughs> Yeah, the Grim Reaper has been and gone. You are currently being cremated. (laughs) That's funny. Before we start and do the preview, Eddie, I had just, I wanted to get a quick question here. So I've started a new podcast. It's this science history podcast. I love science history. I always say if there's a course I could make for universities, it would just be like the history of medicine or just the history of modern inventions. I think it's just so cool, the progression and, and the thinking. So I was found this new one that's really good uh, podcast, and they were talking about the invention of the screw. When do you think the Phillips head screw was invented? 
It's, it, I mean, this sounds dumb, right? It's, it's either going to be way more recent than you think or way older than you think. Although I'm assuming if it was always called the Phillips head, then that might, I'll say during the industrial revolution, I'll go 1820. 1933, right before World War II okay. is when it became popular, right? During like the, like uh, Ford, the uh, Ford assembly line. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So before that, it was just the straight, flat screw head. And then uh, in Canada, they developed a square tool, like a square head, which is kind of, I guess, kind of like an Allen key. But they still use them in Canada. It's just a square design. Um, And Gerald Ford was going to use that, but the manufacturer said he wouldn't move his plant out of Canada. So Gerald Ford said, screw that. I'll find something else. Gerald Gerald Ford, the president of the United States? (laughs) Not Gerald Ford, Henry Ford. (laughs) (laughs) Got my Fords mixed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Henry Ford. (laughs) Henry Ford said, screw that. We'll just uh, get a different kind. So eventually he found someone who was making the Phillips head. And that became the dominant one but that's crazy to think it's it's not even a hundred years old that's crazy i'm assuming it was a mr phillips john p thompson (laughs) okay (laughs) do you know why it was called the phillips head then no 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 The, the henry frank phillips uh it's named after him but the inventor who's credited is john p thompson what do you have to do in your life to have a screw named after you you have to manufacture what is it. your <laughs> he started the company that manufactured it <laughs> okay so someone else invented it needed someone to manufacture it he had a factory he manufactured it it became the phillips screw yeah pretty much okay that makes more sense then still you would think as the inventor really missed out on your legacy there That was my interesting fact. Less than 100 years old. You want to give that podcast the actual name of the podcast a plug in case you've piqued someone's interest and they want to go out and learn more about the Phillips screw? Yeah, it's called Inside the Breakthrough. And I guess speaking of giving shout outs to other podcasts, a former guest and friend of the podcast uh, launched his own podcast this week. Dane, uh, I saw, started his Masters of Sport podcast where he's speaking about, you know, the science behind training and uh, powerlifting and just the sort of technique of sport in general. Yeah, yeah. So Dane has started his own podcast. And if you don't follow Dane on Instagram, then you're you're missing a good show. Uh, you can either follow Garage Strength or his tag, I believe, is Ghostface Miller. With an H at the end? I think so, yeah. I, I will agree with you. It is interesting. Of all the people, whenever I'm bored on Instagram and just scrolling through people's stories, I'm very happy whenever he has one. It is. He also falls into one of the rare categories of people who when he's just like doing like a kind of piece to camera, just speaking into it, I still turn the volume on to listen. Because the stuff that he says sometimes is so out there that I have to hear it. Whereas anyone else on my, if I'm scrolling through Instagram stories, if anyone else appears and it's just them talking, you can move along. Got no interest. No, he has some, he is ramping up his content for sure. His recent battle fight investigation, whatever you want to call it, is 
towards the person who claims eating raw livers and hearts is more beneficial for your health. Well, I think it was raw meat in general. The guy eats like a caveman, but a true caveman diet. So he's only eating. But he eats a lot of liver and heart. He eats a lot of the organs. (laughs) So Dane went on a quest to see what that tasted like and see how that felt doing a week of it in a row. And you can watch Dane rip his teeth through through an animal heart and animal liver right on screen. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate he not only committed to the bit of like the full caveman diet, he ate it like a caveman. Like there was nothing stopping him from using a knife and fork still to kind of simplify the process of eating raw meat. He was just grabbing into it and tearing pieces off with his teeth. It was, it was something I never thought I'd see, but I wasn't disappointed to see it. He's our first guest who's ever eaten (laughs) animal liver with his bare hands. I'm sure might be the only guest Prob- that we ever get to. <laughs> probably. I think that's, that's not going out on too much of a limb, but that's probably the case. Would you eat that? Um, well, I, 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 I want to rephrase this. If, let's say, we went and visited Dane one day, and he's like, you guys hungry? And we're like, yeah, it's lunchtime. We, we can definitely eat. And he's like, all right, cool. And just handed you over a piece of cow liver and said, give me your hands, threw it in your hands and said, eat away. Would you take a bite? For Dane? No. <laughs> if I was in a different situation, if I was in a different situation, it was like local custom. And I felt as if I'd be rude not to do it. Then yeah, I do it. While but Reading, Pennsylvania's situation- local customs are to eat whatever liver is handed to you. In a situation where it is just someone who's been experimenting with something, I think I'd pass. The liver, the liver at least seems more approachable because it would definitely be a lot easier to rip a piece off. The heart just looked like, I mean, that was so much work just to get a piece of it to rip away. And I mean, he was talking about it like he was gnawing on it all day as if he was just carrying this heart around with him and just whenever he got a little peckish, just like grabbing a bite of it. Maybe he was. (laughs) I wouldn't put it back. It's a real commitment. It's a real commitment. I don't think I could do it. It just, watching him eat it, just really put me off to the ability to even try that. (laughs) Again, a knife and fork would have made it. I I like in terms of creating content, not just ripping it with his mouth was the right way to go from a content perspective. That was definitely spot on, but it would have seemed more approachable with a knife and fork. If someone put a raw liver on a plate for me and it was sort of nicely presented and there was a knife and fork there, I'd probably give it a try. So from there, do we move on to our previews for two of the last three games of this NFL season? A season that feels a little bit like it has gone on forever. Not in a, sometimes in a bad way, I guess. But for the most part, it does feel like an incredibly long NFL season. I know it's one week extra. It's kind of weird. It's actually throwing me off when February starts. I know that sounds weird, but I so much associate the first Sunday in February with the Super Bowl, that it actually has made me not think. For example, the Six Nations is starting next week, and I normally associate the first weekend of the Six Nations with the same weekend that the Super Bowl is going on. And on many occasions, I've gone to a Six Nations match and then gone out to watch the Six Na- to watch the Super Bowl. And because I knew that the Super Bowl is two weeks away, in my mind. 
I was just talking with some friends about going to watch the game, the Six Nations game, kickoff games, and was like, yeah, well, in two weeks we can go and do that. It has thrown off my whole, feels like it's the middle of January just because the Super Bowl is on a different date. It's really messed with me. What a first world English white male problem you've got there. <laughs> I don't think my race or nationality had, had anything to do with that. First world problem, sure. I'm not worrying about finding water. You're right. I, I, there are definitely people out there with much more important things to worry about. But I don't know if just saying, expressing that definitely gave away the fact that I was white. But hey, listeners, if you are worrying about, worrying, hopefully not worrying, if you are wondering about what each of us look like, you can go and follow us on our YouTube page. What an I, organic plug. It is an organic plug. I thought, though, you were going to drop the Joe Rogan controversial um, thing he had said this weekend that or this week that pissed Trevor Noah off. That's what I did not see this. Oh, he defined what black means. <laughs> That's what I thought. Okay. I thought this is exactly where you were going. <laughs> no, no, I did not. This is one piece of Joe Rogan content that I somehow missed out on. Yeah. Well, good for Joe. Good for Joe to it's be able to world. define what 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 the term black should encompass. No, I mean it's what the world needs. The world really needs a completely uneducated comedian in his fifties sitting in Texas telling us, you know, of kind of holding court as he solves all the problems of the world based on complete quacks he's had on his podcast. Like I don't dislike I there was a moment in my life where I actually listened to a decent amount of the Joe Rogan podcast and there's still episodes of it. I think he's actually a pretty good interviewer because he is an idiot and he does ask stupid questions that I think can be very lead to a very interesting discussion and other people would feel as if they were dumb questions and so wouldn't ask them. If you see what I mean, like sometimes it's good to ask stupid questions, but Whereas initially he was trying to get people on with very different perspectives, but I think you knew you had a better understanding of how qualified they were to share their opinion. Now you have people on, I mean, he has people on who you speak, you speak to them and you'd think they're, he has a number of people who come on to speak about ancient civilizations. You're assuming they are archeologists or, you know, from some area of expertise, just, just weirdos. Just weirdos who have theories about Atlantis, you know, have written books and then those books have become successful because there's conspiracy theorists and not jobs out there who are willing to buy strange books. And then it's also one of those things. Then you go on Joe Rogan, you're going to probably instantly be a, a bestseller just because you've appeared on Joe Rogan and plugged your book. I mean, that's where we're going wrong. Maybe we should start talking. Where do you think Atlantis is, Frank? Let's try and get ourselves on the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, I think if we ask Jason Momoa, if we ask Jason Momoa, he might be able to give us an answer. Especially now that he's split with his wife, maybe he's hitting up the Atlantis. Oh, they broke up. They did break up in a very, very okay. strange, completely amicable, like twenty-first century separation. There, the I think it was something along the lines of these past few years have changed everyone's lives and perceptions of life. And we were caught up in the differences it caused. It was a very strange public statement, but I, 
I mean, I expect that from them. They're kind of a strange couple. I saw an interview with Gerard Piquet, the Barcelona and Spain defender. No, um, no, no. That's not that's not what he's known for. He's known for being the husband of Shakira. <laughs> In America, he's known as being the husband of Shakira. All right. Well, very successful in his own right, but sure, he happens to be the husband of Shakira. And I heard him speaking about how he met Shakira. So they first met filming the music video for the Wacka Wacka music video ahead of the 2010 World Cup, because that was, of course, was the official song of the 2010 World Cup. So that's when they first met and he got her number there. And then she arrived for the opening ceremony and the Spanish team hadn't arrived yet. So on the flight to South Africa, he sent her a text message saying, what's the weather like there? Which he admitted was like a really dumb text message to send in a world where you can very easily just look up what the weather is. So he expected a very short response, which she sent him these paragraphs on what the weather was like at different times of the day and how the temperature could change and all sorts of stuff. And he said it, he said he realized at that moment that she was different and that there was probably something there and then kept texting her over the course of the tournament and then realized that the only time he would next be guaranteed to see her was if Spain made the final because she would be performing at the final. And he said that was an extra incentive for him <laughs> to make the final. <laughs> Now That's Spain, awesome. of course, went on to win. Spain <laughs> went on to win that World Cup, but uh, he thanks said to Shakira. Was, <laughs> yes, in 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 some ways, yeah, Shakira can take some credit for Spain winning their first ever World Cup in 2010. That is great. Now, if someone texted you paragraphs about the ever changing weather in today's world, would you think that as sweet or? Is this person dumber than I am, not knowing that I can look this up online? <laughs> Do they look like Shakira? <laughs> because if, they, if it's Shakira, I probably probably it doesn't don't care. matter. If it's a normal if it's a normal human being, then I would take that as a massive red flag. I mean, that is a weird weird thing to do. I mean, but I also don't understand. I you also have to put yourself in her shoes a little bit, which I guess if she is interested and you're trying to start the conversation and someone does send you that message of what's the weather like there, which you know, like you can be the asshole and be like, can't you look at it? Like you could just do a, you know, like send a, let me Google this for you link. And just that, fire See that now link. if someone did that, I'd be like, Oh, I like this person. <laughs> I would admire it, but it's probably the end of us talking. You know what I mean? Like the flirtation is probably stopping, but I think, I don't know. I'd probably be happy. I would take it as a sign of, yeah, they're interested in me. So, yeah. Um, Lisa Bonnet, this was her quote that about the breakup with Jason Moa. The revolution is definitely here, and we're all facing the squeeze. If you aren't, you're in total denial. And the more you resist, the more you will suffer. Everything is crumbling out there. The personal work is understanding where empire and those archetypes live within us. The revolution is on the inside and learning to be in this new world. And that they, their relationship felt the squeeze of this new world that's emerging. So they're blaming their breakup on the situation in the world. Just the kind of global I socioeconomic guess. geopolitical situation is the reason why their marriage didn't last. It's just taken a toll on their life. 
and their relationship. I like that. I like that. I like it. I like the idea of taking zero accountability whilst in the process encouraging <laughs> everyone to increase their awareness. I like that. I might use this just yeah. from now on. Hey, why did you fail to do any of your work? Well, I know I didn't do any of my work, but have you thought about the situation in the world lately? I'm just, I have just- A revolution is unfolding. Yeah. I couldn't take my mind off of it. I did nothing else. I can't be blind to it anymore. (laughs) Exactly. So I guess the only thing before maybe we discuss the games is there has been two coaching hires so far. So you have the Chicago Bears hired the Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Eberfuss and the Green Bay Packers hired Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, sorry, not the Green Bay Packers. The Denver Broncos hired former offensive coordinator of the Packers, Nathaniel Hackett. And that's led to the speculation that the Denver Broncos could now be a landing spot for Aaron Rodgers because he would be used to that offensive coordinator. That Eddie brought up the fact I'm about to ask you. Since Manning retired from the Denver Broncos, we know the Broncos have been searching for their next great quarterback. In the last six years, they've had 10 starting quarterbacks. Can you name them? Well, no. Um, (laughs) So Osweiler would have been the first post-Manning. All right. So there's One. one. Okay, I can't do this. I can't do this in order. Is going to be the issue here. No, that's so crazy. Drew Locke, two, Joe Flacco, three, Paxton Lynch, four. Good one. Well, tre- uh, Teddy Bridgewater, five, Case Keenum, six. Over fifty percent. Impressive. Yeah, but there's there's going to be the real unknown ones have yet to appear. That's going to be the issue. Um, Trevor Simeon. Seven. I would say you're probably done at this point. <laughs> Didn't they? They had the Allen guy because wasn't there Josh Allen and another Allen as quarterback in the NFL at one point? Brandon Allen. Okay. And I think that's me done. Eight. Jeff Driscoll, yeah. nine. Brett Ripon, ten. <laughs> Never would have got him. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm reasonably pleased with that. That's a, that's pretty impressive. In six years, that's the stellar list of quarterbacks the Denver Broncos have put out to compete. And I saw uh, on a completely unrelated, well, somewhat related topic, completely different sport. Uh, Watford appointed uh, Roy Hodgson as manager this week, former England manager, I mean, and a host of other clubs, European clubs. Uh, And I saw that since they last kept a clean sheet in the Premier League, they have had six different managers. (laughs) They've had three this season. Well, Roy Roy Hodgson is the sixth manager since they last kept a clean sheet in the Premier League. So they've been relegated and promoted since then. But yeah, six managers since their last clean sheet now. Roy Hodgson is their third manager of the season, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> Not a good start. <laughs> no. But yeah, back to the 
back to the Broncos. I, it makes sense that they're kind of, if he and uh, Aaron Rodgers have a good relationship, it's, it makes sense as a way of trying to court Aaron Rodgers. For, from Rodgers' perspective, I don't know if I would love it as a move. Just because you are coming, you're obviously going to a franchise there where you have two very prominent kind of all-time quarterback legends. And you run the risk then of, no matter what you do, never being able to surpass them in any way, shape, or form. So you obviously have the longer legacy of John Elway and his still his still level of presence within the organization. But then Peyton Manning, who is held in super high regard, and then there are theories that he is going to become a part owner, if not significant owner of the Broncos. This is a theory I think that's floating around. I don't think it's a theory. I, I think it's kind of confirmed that he's one of the he's in one of the groups bidding to own them. Yeah, but whether or not they're able to really pull it off. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah, people yeah. are throwing their hat into the ring and it's just a good story and you're kind of putting it out there. But I mean, that's part of the theory, right? Where I think they're not coming back for the Manning, the Monday night Manning cast, whatever they were calling it. I think they're Manning not cast, coming back yeah. for that next year. Yeah. And the, again, the theory behind that is because he's expecting to be, it would be a conflict of interest, obviously, if he is a significant owner in the Broncos. I mean, it would be just as good if they had Eli and then just brought Cooper in. I think it might be better with just Cooper <laughs> and Eli. I mean, I thought it was good. Because you I already have, good. like, with Peyton and Eli, they're both so knowledgeable on the sport that you don't need that. You could have one that's really knowledgeable, one that's a goofy guy, and then you have the brother relationship that makes it kind of they're okay to go after each other. So you'll get – I think it would be more comedy. You probably wouldn't get as many – high caliber guess because Peyton is the more famous person who can probably pull in some of the more high caliber guests. Maybe. I don't know. Personally, I wasn't a fan of when they had non-football or non-sports guests on. I found that really boring. I didn't need to hear The Rock. I mean, at least The Rock has a football background, but I don't, I mean, I always <laughs> thought it was that cl- that clip where he was trying to be motivational when in the, uh, the Monday night playoff game, the Cardinals Rams game. And when the Rams, when the Cardinals were backed up in their own end zone and they were asking him to do his like little motivational spiel spiel. And he was kind of going through it as the play was waiting to go off. And then that's when uh, they threw that really awful pick six. When Murray just like <laughs> underarm tossed it yeah, to yeah. a Rams defender. I don't need that. I want either. I want. I don't need a comedian coming on and making jokes about football. I don't need any of that. I don't need to hear why a celebrity likes the game. I just want Manning, the two Manning brothers, talking about football, and then another athlete coming to talk about them getting like insights into their process. If it's another quarter, like it was fascinating to me when like Russell Wilson was on, and then you have the three quarterbacks kind of analyzing the game live. I think that's fascinating. That's where you get real insights. Don't get the same thing when it's Snoop Dogg telling me about him rage quitting a Madden game. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Getting back to the Aaron Rodgers, though, one last time. I also don't know how keen he'd be to go to Denver just because you're in a tough division there. 
you have Mahomes and the Chiefs, you have Herbert and the Chargers, and you have the Raiders with Carr, who's, I mean, if that's your worst team in your division, that's that's a tough division. I'm not saying the Raiders are phenomenal, but, you know, if that's the worst that you're, if that's like the team you can beat up on, that's that's tough. No, you're definitely right. But I mean, I don't know if he has that many good landing spots when you really look into it. I mean, some people are talking about the Niners, Niners. for both him and <laughs> people are talking about the Niners for both him and uh, Brady as possible landing spots. That if the Niners don't win the Super Bowl, they feel like they have a Super Bowl caliber team and they hand it over to a superstar quarterback to come in and win now, which is obviously what they kind of tried to do with Manning when he instead chose to go to the Broncos. They were heavily courting him at the time. Would you trade Trey Lance for Aaron Rodgers? I mean, no, because he's an asshole. And that's not just about his vaccination (laughs) stance. I want to be clear. Don't want people to be like, oh, for political opinions, you wouldn't have him. But just overall, he seems like an asshole. And I actually think there's value in the fact that this Niners team seems very, very tight-knit. And I think that's part of the success they're actually having this season is clearly how much all of them like each other and how much they're pulling in the same direction. So I think you do risk bringing the superstar asshole in. I wouldn't have the same fears about bringing Brady in because I think at least Brady, he would just come with ultimate respect and he's the kind of consummate professional and you know that he would just help people improve everywhere in their game. Whereas Rodgers has shown time and time again, he's got no interest in helping anyone else improve. Yeah, and let me clarify, Eddie. You were saying that Rodgers is a superstar who's an asshole, not a person who has a superstar asshole. No, he might have both. (laughs) (laughs) I might. That's one asshole I'd love to see. But he bleaches that thing clean. So I, with that, let's let's get to the championship games, the the two games that are still going, that are still playing, because Rodgers is going to be watching them just like us. With the first game being the would be three o'clock Eastern. Sunday game, the Cincinnati Bengals at the Kansas City Chiefs. And what's the current spread right now, Eddie? So the current spread, as we speak, recording Thursday evening, well, Thursday afternoon, U.S. time, it is the Chiefs minus seven. Now, it has kind of hovered all week. It has been, I mean, sorry, the Chiefs plus seven. (laughs) No, minus seven. What am I doing? It has hovered all week. I've seen it dip as low as the Chiefs minus seven and a half. But then it did go Chiefs minus six and a half for a while as well. So I think it's going to be within that range on at kickoff. But for the time being, it's seven. And seeing as that's splitting the difference of where it's been all week anyway, it's, it's probably a good place for it to be when we make our picks. And I guess since there's only two games, why don't you give us the over and under as well? Because we'll probably discuss the score anyway. What do you think? Do you Have you seen this number? I have not. What do you think the over-under is? 54. Wow, 54.5. Nice. Good job. Thank you. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's an unfortunate... We kind of discussed this uh, off the air after our last recording when you said, well, I guess we'll both be taking the Chiefs. I mean, I, I guess spoil our picks early, but I think we will both be taking the Chiefs, certainly money line. I said to you at the time, I don't know if I'll take them against the spread just because... Once you go a full touchdown favorite, it's big. And I think you get torn then. It's hard to go against the spread on the team you think will win, particularly in playoff scenarios. I think that's really hard to do. 
But then at the same time, you know, you look back on last week, obviously a little bit different because three underdogs won outright. So obviously not a good weekend if you're just betting favorites. But, you know, no team would have covered that seven-point spread. So you do see, you know, playoff games tend to be tight and a seven-point, you know, spread. It's you're, you're expecting, if you're asking the Chiefs to cover that, you're expecting them to be a dominant force in that game. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. S- to me, seven is a high number. Um, I'll spoil my pick and say, you know, I, I will take the Chiefs to win, but I am actually going to take the Bengals to cover on seven. And for the main point kind of being exactly what you said, seven in a championship game is just a lot. And we can go through the reasons and kind of what we came up with was maybe to give some reasons as to why we think the Bengals can win and why we think the Chiefs can win. And then to, to do the same in the Rams Niners game. So I'll start before we even get into that. The nice part about both of these games is there's very recent evidence of what could happen because the Bengals played the Chiefs in week 17 and the Rams played the Niners in week 18. So in week 17, if you cannot remember that far back, the Bengals won 34 to 31 with a game-winning field goal as time expired. In that game, Burroughs had 446 yards and four TDs, while Mahomes had 260 and two TDs. And a majority of that 450 yards from Burrow was due to Jamar Chase, who had an unreal game at 266 yards and three touchdowns on 11 receptions. So you had a close game that at, at any point in time I thought could go either way. It wasn't as if the Bengals were the clearly the better team and, you know, the Chiefs rallied back and made it look close. You know, this was a back and forth game. So for me, it's not too hard to argue that the Chiefs can win when someone says, well, they lost in week 17 to them, but it was a very close game and it was a back and forth game. And you have, in addition to some other things that we'll get into, I think one of the main things you have to think about is pressure, expectations, and and experience. And the Chiefs are at home. This is their fourth straight AFC championship at home, which is pretty unreal, with a large majority of the same team there in Mahomes, Kelsey Hill, all returning. So they have the experience. They're used to being there, whereas the Bengals have kind of not pulled us out of nowhere. I mean, I think we we predicted them at the beginning of the year to be a decent team. I said that they would be right on the cusp of making the playoffs, but no one expected this, the AFC Championship. So they're already kind of in the we've made it further than anyone expected territory. So it's kind of a doesn't matter as much. So I think that could play into it a lot. Um, nerves, experience, being there at home. I think that could all play into it a little bit and swing the pendulum towards the Chiefs. Yeah, and I do think you're right. It's very interesting this week to have two matchups where they have played so recently and in games that were somewhat meaningful for all four, though I guess it is worth keeping in mind that in both instances, I think the game was far more meaningful for the teams that won that that respective week. So for the Bengals, because they were in a much tighter playoff race, it meant more. The Chiefs kind of had, now the Chiefs would have, as it turned out, had the one seed. I guess, if they had won that game. But fundamentally, it didn't really matter to them, and they didn't know that at the time. 
and they knew they just needed to win one of their two remaining games to have the two seed. And then on the flip side, you had the Rams who were also in a race to win the division and for um, playoff seeding, but they already knew at the time that they were in the playoffs. And then you had the Niners fighting for their lives and a chance to make the playoffs. So it is nice to have such recent history between all four teams and to be able to point to a game that wasn't just a dead rubber rubber end of the year, one team resting half their starters, but still the winners were the teams who had the most incentive to win. Yeah. And, and the other thing I think that makes it nice is it's not as if it were week five and the offensive game plans have changed or defenses have dramatically shifted. I, I mean, you're going to see pretty much the same thing, the same people, the same schemes that you saw just a few weeks ago. So that's always nice. So I, I guess I'll kind of start with, you know, I'm going to be taking the Chiefs, but I'm going to take the Bengals to cover. And I'll just kind of start with how do I think the Bengals can win? And I think the easy answer to that is play exactly how they did when they beat them in week 17, which is, I mean, to put it mildly, you're just going to have to outscore them and you're going to have to be perfect in doing it. Um, what was nice is they crushed it through the air in that week 17 game. And there's no indication that the Chiefs are going to be able to stop it this time. They let up 330 yards and four TDs against the Bills. And what's nice, I think the Bills are a pretty similar offensive comparison to what you have with the Bengals. I mean, yeah, Allen is better than Burrow, but they're both quarterbacks who have a great arm, love to throw the deep ball. You have a great wide receiver one with Diggs versus Chase. You have good secondary receivers, good tight end decent running back with Singletary versus Mixon. They're pretty similar offenses with how they like to, you know, take that deep ball every once in a while and try and beat you with that long shot. So I think the Bengals can be successful in their passing game like they were in week 17, just how the Bills were last week. Um, the interesting fact from that game that people don't, I don't know if they realize, but Diggs only had three receptions for seven yards that game, which is crazy. So here you might have Jamar Chase Diggs? get a lot. Yeah, the Bills for the Bills against the Chiefs. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you meant. No, sorry, no, no. you were flipping between. I thought yeah, you were sorry. referring to the the the, the no. Chiefs yeah, uh, yeah. game against the. Yeah, okay. No. So, so you're meaning last week's game yes. against the Bills. Last week against the yeah. Bills, they let up a ton of yards passing TDs, but Diggs was held in check. And considering what Jamar Chase did to them last game, where he had the 266 yards in week 17, you might see the Chiefs try and switch their game plan to whatever they did against Diggs and try and shut down Jamar Chase. So that might open the door up for someone like T. Higgins or um, their tight end, uh, Uzuma, that might get a lot more touches maybe some more touchdowns so that's something that they're gonna have to get i love how you say people's names sometimes i know <laughs> uzama, uzama if you want to call him that <laughs> never never use frank as the the base point in hell how, how are you gonna pronounce someone i pronounce name? him how i want to i'm sorry um so I, I you know and then on the other side the defense you're gonna have to get turnovers against mahomes right i, I mean if you if you're going to outscore them, you need to stop them. And I think one of the only ways you can stop them is to get a turnover. The Bengals D did great against Tannehill, but that's Tannehill. Can they do that against Mahomes, who is an absolute gamer in the playoffs? I mean, that's how you're going to have to win. 
at least in my eyes, that's how they win that game. Yeah, I think you're right. They're going to need to go into this knowing it's going to be a shootout. There's no two ways about it. If their offense performs as it did against uh, the Titans, they lose this game and they lose it by a wide margin. Uh, I mean, the they're built. You know, it's a good matchup for them against the Chiefs. When you look at the Chiefs starting defensive backs, only one of them is allowing a completion rate on of under 70% on times that they're being targeted. Not it is bad. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're also not getting a lot of interceptions. Their secondary is awful. It has been all season. Uh, and so, yeah, if they're going to be able, they should be able to move the ball pretty efficiently that they'll need to. Um, you know, you would almost say if the Chiefs, if you could tell the Chiefs now, would you take a 60, 60% completion rate on, you know, passes to wide receivers in this game? They'd probably just take it and hope that their offense was going to deliver at a high enough rate where that didn't really matter. So, yeah, I think really the key to the game, I think it's trying to, they're, they're not going to be able to stop the Chiefs. I think we kind of saw that. The Chiefs should have won their first matchup. And I think if the Chiefs had, had really needed to win, you know, it's easy to forget they were up 14 points uh, in the first half. I think if the Chiefs had needed to win, they would have won that game. So, you know, if they rinse and repeat on that in a you know in a playoff scenario they're losing so they're not going to be able to stop them they're just going to have to keep up with them i think the the fear for them in some respects is even if you keep up with them late game scenarios as we saw last week the chiefs become favorites i mean saw the stat which i'm going to guess you also saw cuz i know you're always a fan of seeing the stats that pop up but the the chiefs are 3 and 1 in the playoffs with patrick mahomes when their in-game win probability dips below 5%. That's insane. I did not see that stat but that is insane. In the same time period, the rest of the nfl in situations when their win percentage dips below 5% is 1 in 38. <laughs> Wow, that could be the stat of the podcast right there. He is a gamer. He is when when the game is on the line, you want Mahomes with the ball. And even like and what's crazy is we even both of us said this year he looked like he was regressing this year. And regressing is maybe a harsh word because he's at, you know, he's the elite level, but he had seemed to come down to earth a little more in that regular season. And then you put him in the playoffs and his last two games, this is just two games in the playoffs. He has 782 yards, eight touchdowns and one interception. Those are numbers for four games would be impressive. Yeah, I know. And then we're going to that it's going to be even more impressive when we move on to the next game and pull out uh, Jimmy G's stats for the first two <laughs> playoff games. <laughs> I think it would take Jimmy G an entire season at this rate to get to those stats. But uh, but the yeah. And then when you flip it, obviously, the keys to the Chiefs keep doing what they're doing on offense. I know that sounds like a really boring tip, but fundamentally, it's just avoiding Mahomes. I mean, the Bengals are going to get pressure on Mahomes because even though I know he performs extremely well against the Blitz and they love to bring that up, the times he does get in trouble is when he is being forced out of the pocket when he doesn't want to be. He does like you know, being creative 
and kind of thinking on his feet and moving, but you can tell there's a difference between the times when it's a really old desperate scramble and he's just trying to get a evade pressure versus when he's knows that he can step a couple of steps to the right or the left and make a play. And as, as well as he performs against the blitz, you have to find ways to get pressure on him. I think that's the only way you can try and slow them down and force him to make mistakes. Then finding ways to stop the Chiefs' run game, which isn't exactly an amazing run game, but when you do stop the run, their offense is a far less efficient. So if you can hold them, to a certain extent, I'd almost commit to stopping the run, even if you're going to give up extra pass yards in the process, just because it at least forces them into a game plan where you know that they have to switch to, they have to kind of, kind of give up running the ball. From the On the reverse side, how do the Chiefs win? I think on defense, we've already seen how many sacks the Bengals can give up. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they gave up, what, nine sacks last week against the Titans and still won the game. If if you can get pressure on them, then, you know, you're, you can, you're going to cause havoc all day long. So I think their focus in terms of trying to slow this Bengals offense down, and again, we which we discussed on the last episode, Burrow will make mistakes and they'll be in good field position and he'll get a 13-yard sack and all of a sudden a kickable field goal turns into a punt. So if you get pressure on him, good things will happen. So I think that's defensively, given their weaknesses in their secondary, that's their key to winning. Yeah, and and just to kind of jump in on that with some stats for that. So the Chiefs actually have one of the higher pass pressure ratings in the NFL, although it doesn't seem like because their defense gives up a ton of points. They actually do pressure the quarterback well. They sacked him four times, Burrow, in week 17, so a decent amount. And they sacked Allen, I think, two or three times in that last playoff game, Josh Allen against the Bills. So their their pressure is still there right now. And I think that's another thing where maybe in the regular season, I'm not saying guys aren't trying hard, but now that you put them into the playoffs and you tell these pass rushers, we need you to make a sack. You've been here before. You know how much it impacts us. If you can get a big sack on third down, that they're going to step up a little bit even more. You know, you see that a lot pass rushers. They seem to step it up in the playoffs because they know that that one sack could make the difference about them going to the Super Bowl versus a week seven win. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see an even better Chiefs pass rush. And the stat I found for the Bengals is even though Burrow was sacked nine times against the Titans last week and they won, they are two and four this year when they allow five or more sacks. So if you can get to Burrow, there's a good chance they're going to lose that game for exactly what the reasons you said. The other thing, if, you know, how can the Chiefs reverse that week 17 form, which I agree with you, I think they were kind of overpowering them going into the second half is you probably need to get Hill and Kelsey more involved. So that last game on week 17 combined, they only had 65 yards and one TD compare that to their win against the bills last week. In that divisional round, they had a combined 246 yards and two TDs. So two very, very different games there. And if those are two players that if you can get them involved, they get hot, they feed off each other and you know, you're, you're scoring every time. But for me, I think the X factor, if you want to call it an X factor, isn't necessarily a, a player. I think it's two things, turnovers and red zone. 
And the reason I picked both of those is because it'll, I think it's going to be the only ways you can stop the Chiefs from getting seven points. Either you get them to turn the ball over and they get nothing, or they get to the red zone and they stall out and, and kick a field goal. And we've seen that a lot of times their red zone efficiency isn't as good as you'd think it would be. It usually sits in the middle of the NFL. It's never top three, um, which is kind of surprising, but maybe they get too fancy sometimes and kind of screw it up a little bit. I don't know. Um, But that's, I think the X factor there is if you can hold them to field goals or get a few turnovers to stop them from scoring touchdowns and kind of just out, out win them in a shootout and hope they score six out of 10 and you score seven out of 10 drives. But overall, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be high scoring. I take the over and I take the Chiefs to win and, and I think the Bengals to cover. I think it's going to be close. I wouldn't be surprised if it's another overtime game or or last last drive win kind of game. I've been, so yeah, I'm taking the Chiefs. I've already shown my hand in that respect. I have been fluctuating a little bit over the course of the week as to how I'm going to, how I lean against the spread and how exactly I think this game is going to go. Ultimately, I don't think that the Bengals are going to be able to keep pace with the Chiefs and just their inability to stop the rush and just for Burrow to be in difficult situations, I think is going to be their undoing. So I'm actually going to take the Chiefs to cover the spread. All right. And that takes us to the NFC championship game, which will be played directly after at 6.30 Eastern times. And that is a rematch of the week 18 Rams versus Niners matchup where the Niners came storming back to Eddie's approval to win 27-24 in overtime. Yeah, and it's an interesting one, right? Because if you're the Rams, obviously the Niners have had a little bit of a hoodoo over them in recent seasons. Shanahan kind of owns McVay. They're 6-0 against them um, in recent seasons. You wonder if the Rams slightly regret letting that lead slip and now being in a situation where a team they could have effectively eliminated in Week 18 is there, is the one that could stop them from getting to the Super Bowl. I don't know For if sure. the Rams would have... Re- well, except, are you sure that they would... Do you think the Rams would prefer to be playing the Packers right now in Lambeau? I don't know if for this Rams team, that's a great place to... Like I, This Rams team does not strike me as one that's built to be going to... Lambo in January. But Eddie, you know, so. they are they are apparently going to Northern California in January according to Vivid Seats. Did you see that stat that came out today? I mean, I I've seen some of the statistics coming out about the number of tickets that have been resold and the expectation that this is effectively going to be a Niners home game, which was the which is what happened in week 18 as well. Yeah, so Vivid Seats has this proprietary algorithm that can based off of their ticket sales and the and the number of um, season ticket holders and everything they can with a good range estimate who's watching who's going to be at the game and they're saying 65% of fans at SoFi Stadium will be supporting the Niners so the Niners will technically be the home team in an away game <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And then you wonder if from the Niners' perspective, that's almost advantageous because then getting to play indoors kind of suits them for their run game. You know, like I know you normally would associate that with a heavy pass offense, but still it's just nice for them to be in a really controlled environment to know that when you do have to pass the ball, 
kind of there's no other factors affecting Jimmy G. So would they almost have rather taken a a game in LA where they have the majority of fans in attendance versus a home game in the Bay Area? And I mean that's an interesting question, but I think they might they probably wouldn't say it openly, but they probably might prefer being in LA in that scenario. Yeah, and then on the flip side in week uh, 18, Stafford and the Rams had to end up going to a silent count uh, in the second half and late in that game because the fan noise was so loud. So maybe this week with more time to prepare for that, they might be less caught off guard with the fact that they're, they're going to have to switch to a silent count. But who knows? Yeah, you'd have to assume they come into that thinking that's it's going to be the same situation. And look, they just won on the road in Tampa Bay. Now, I guess the downside you would say is that first half at what Raymond James Stadium, that's the name of the Tampa Bay Stadium, right? That first half when everything was going right for the Rams, that was a pretty quiet stadium. Once the Buccaneers started coming back into that game, it was very loud. And that's when things kind of started to go wrong for the Rams. So whilst they did come through a somewhat hostile environment in that game, you might argue that they didn't really come through it. They kind of failed miserably in the hostile environment, but they did pretty well when everything was pretty timid. So, you know, again, that's probably a positive for the Niners. All right, Eddie, but tell me how the Niners win. Actually, first we need to go over the spread and what's the over-under. Yes. So the spread is the Rams minus 3.5. And what do you think the over-under is? As I say, it's much lower. I'm going to say 46. Spot on. Really? Nice job. That's two. Yeah. I bet a well lot done. of over-unders. <laughs> so I, I'm really keen tell. on it. <laughs> well, that's pretty impressive to be half a point off on two guesses on the over-unders is, is pretty good. Yeah. And I, I legitimately had not looked at all yet what the over-unders would be. That's... I will tell you the way the Niners win this game. Okay. And in a sense, it will also tell you the way the Rams could lose this game because one of the Niners' strengths plays very well against one of the Rams' strengths, which I think is why the Niners and McVay uh, and Shanahan have such a good record against the Rams and McVay. And that is because the Rams rely defensively very heavily on the fact that they can disguise the coverage that they're in. So according to Pro Football Focus, they describe they disguise their coverage 50 on 55% of defensive downs, more than any other team in the league. And I think if you really look at the, how the playoffs have gone this season, you can tell that that's been having an impact on the opposing quarterbacks that they're playing. Definitely on Murray, he had no idea where pressure was about to come from and was just running for his life pretty much all game. And even against Tom Brady in that first half, he seemed totally confused. I mean, it took him, he had what one completion in the first quarter. I think he was really struggling to get a sense of exactly what coverage the Rams were lining up in. Yeah. And and, and just to, I'll give you another stat on that too. Since week 10, the Rams have held every QB under a hundred QB rating. And that includes Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and Tom Brady in that list. Yeah. So, I mean, that is the key to their defense and one of the strengths of their team. And it's, it's kind of the backbone of McVay's approach to football in some respects. Now, the thing that works well for the Niners, in, on the face of that, you say that sounds like a nightmare for Jimmy G, who is often a one-read quarterback, can stare down receivers, doesn't necessarily read the game maybe as well, certainly not as well as, say, Tom Brady. 
So you'd think that's a recipe for disaster. The thing that works well in the Niners' favor is how often they put men in motion pre-snap. So they put men in motion on 70% of offensive downs pre-snap. That is almost twice as much as league average. And what that allows them to do is it gives away the defense's coverage because they have to see how they react to the man in motion. And so that is giving Jimmy G and their offense just a slight advantage every time they snap the ball. And I think that is why they've had such a good record against the Rams in recent seasons. And fundamentally, it boils down to that. Can they continue to get a sense of what the coverage is for the Rams pre-snap? And then can they run the ball effectively? Said it before, I'll say it again. They've never lost with Shanahan when they've run the ball 40 or more times. You don't want to be in a situation where they're having to rely on Jimmy G to carry them here. Obviously, based on his performance last week with zero touchdowns, I mean, you gave the stats for Mahomes so far this postseason. I think Jimmy G has, what, two touchdown passes, two interceptions, only a couple hundred yards. It's not exactly a an impressive performance so far from him, but he's done what he's needed to do, and he's made plays at key times. So I think for the Niners, it's just a case of doing what they do best. And I see no reason why they won't. Yeah, just to give you those stats, uh, Jimmy G has 200, uh, sorry, 303 passing yards, zero TDs, and two interceptions in his two playoff games. So much different than what you saw with Mahomes. I I agree. I, I love the analysis there um, with the disguising the coverages and that that is the Ram strength. The other Ram strength, however, is they have a pretty good rush defense and they're going up a team in the Niners who you said loves to rush the ball and they win when they rush the ball. My worry with the Niners is Elijah Mitchell, who has been pretty decent all season, has started to decline a little bit in these last three or four games. His yards per carry has gone down every game in his last four. Um, and I while that might worry me a little, the fact that you have Debo Samuel there and when you need that clutch run, he's going to be there kind of makes me not care so much about what Mitchell's yards per carry are, especially considering the fact when, when the game was on the line on that last game and it was third and seven and you needed that run to get the first down, they went right to Debo Samuel for it. So I, I'm not that concerned. They'll, they'll find ways to get yards. It doesn't the, matter the Mitchell who it is. Yards, the Mitchell yards per carry as well have to bear in mind he was out and injured, right? So there is an element that he is being reintroduced to the offense. So he's not getting the same number of carries as he was at one point in the season, not the same types of carries, and he's probably still finding his feet and getting back to full fitness mid-game. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and then the other way... On the other side of the coin, I guess you could say the way the Niners win is to kind of repeat that formula against the Rams offense that they've done both times this this season. And the I guess the other interesting thing to point out, too, is the first time they played each other was relatively recent. Was it week 10 or week 11? So this will be the third time they've played in the last almost three months. Uh, but in these two games they played this year, Stafford has two interceptions in each game, and he's been sacked at least twice. He was hit 
13 times in week 18. So they took a beating to him. I'll add a stat into that. Go ahead. Which is my Niners defensive key to winning that game is exactly what you're touching on the pressure they can get on Stafford. Stafford is another quarterback who typically performs pretty well against the blitz. The advantage for the Niners is they get pressure without blitzing. They get pressure from what? Go ahead. Why? why? Go ahead. Go ahead. That's where I'm, I'm interested in seeing why. Is this a stat you wanted to share? Yeah, but you can go ahead. You can finish it. No, no, you go You go for it. I don't want okay. to steal your stat. It's a good one, so go for it. Maybe it's a different one. But so what Eddie's alluding to is Stafford against the Blitz actually has the best quarterback rating in the NFL at 140. However, when he's facing pressure, it drops from 140 all the way down to 63, which is, I believe, second worst in the NFL. So again, against the blitz, he's great. Against standard pressure, he is not so good. And that plays right into the Niners' hands because they have a mean front four. And you have Bosa, who had two sacks last week, and you have Eric Armstead, who has six sacks in his last four. So those two alone, if they can stay on the field, they can wreak havoc on Stafford and really disrupt him with standard four-man pressure where then they can drop the rest back into coverage. Yeah, and so I'll build on that. I actually had some stats more relating to the Niners' defense. I did have the stats on Stafford, but some additional ones. So since week 10, the Niners have a blitz less than 20% of the time, but they have a top five pressure and sack rate in the NFL. So that reveals the fact with a four-man rush, they can do a lot of damage. And similarly, in their two matchups so far this season, they have only blitzed on 14% of defensive downs, but they have got pressure on Stafford on 44% of defensive downs. So again, showing the Rams are not in a position to stop the rush, even when they're only sending four men. Yeah, and, and then, you know, the other part of that defense is obviously the, the run defense. And the Rams, while they're, I mean, you don't, when you think of the Rams, you don't think of, Oh, amazing run game. You think of Cooper Cup and Stafford and now Odell Beckham, but they were averaging 99 yards a game, except when they play the Niners this year, they, they went for 64 and 52. So they do like to try and establish some sort of run game and then build off of that run game. But the Niners, at least in these two games, have completely shut that down in part due to that front four, but also a lot with, with Fred Warner, who's who's an amazing linebacker and can really clog up the, the holes. So to me, you know, I think a lot's going to rely on that front four for the Niners and a lot is going to rely on getting pressure and having Stafford make mistakes because what's interesting is whenever I watch Stafford not play the Niners, he seems to be doing really well, but then when he plays the Niners, it's like a whole different game. So if you can get that same Stafford turnover performance, I think they have a great chance of winning. If you get the Stafford that we just saw last week, that could be trouble for the Niners because they're, I think their only weak point in their defense is their secondary. It is. No, undoubtedly it is their secondary. And I mean, they're just, they're kind of running on fumes a little bit in that secondary. Now, the good news for them is uh, Thomas, who has been their standout cornerback this season did practice today so you would hope that he'll be playing on sunday 
Now, again, it's always a concern when you have a cornerback coming back from an injury who might not be like 100% and going at full speed, and you're expecting him maybe to line up against some of the best wide receivers in the game. Is not necessarily a recipe for winning, but the rest of their secondary is so bad that they kind of have no choice other than to throw them in at the deep end. So it's probably good news for them, but it's not the best news I've ever heard. Now, Eddie, let me tell you how the Rams seek revenge and win this game. But since, I forget what the stat was, but probably since the modern modern playoff system, teams that have swept the regular season are 20 and 12 in that third game. So the Rams are going against history here in winning where they have about a 30% chance according to history, to win this game. But here's why I think the Rams are going to win, and I am picking the Rams to win this game. Cooper Cup, in both games against the Niners, played well, over 115 yards in both. But they didn't get production anywhere else. And as much as it pains me to say this and scares me in putting my reliance on it, this is a big game for Odell Beckham Jr. here. Because in the first game, it was his first uh, week with the Rams, so you can scratch that one off. But in Week 18, he did not; ha- he was not a factor. I think he had two or three catches, at maybe even under 20 yards, something really poorly. He, I think, is the X factor here. They know Cup's going to get the ball, and I think they're even okay with it. You know, I-, I think if you told the Niners Cup gets 150 yards, but they get 40 yards passing from everyone else, they're fine with that. So the Rams need to get someone else involved, and it's going to come down to Odell Beckham or Jefferson. So one of them has to step up, and it it's scary to rely on that, but I think he has been playing really well recently. He has a touchdown in almost every game in the past five, six weeks. So if, Od- if OBJ can step it up, they have a good chance of winning. On the other side of the ball – Bringing in Von Miller has been really good for them. He has at least one sack in six straight games. And you have Floyd on the other side and you have Donald up the middle. So another team that has a brutal front four. If they can get to Jimmy G and rough him up, who knows how many turnovers that guy's going to have. He's due to have one. If you can get him to have three, that's great. (laughs) Uh, You know, and, and you, you, we highlighted the stats. He's not playing substantially well. He's doing what he needs to do to win, but it's not great. So with that pressure and with the coverages they can put together, if they can get solid pressure and make him make quick decisions, like you said, I think that's going to spell trouble for the Niners. And on that defense, the other thing is maybe just maybe this is a little fact, but you have Kittle who hasn't played numbers wise that great he's doing a lot blocking and you can't disregard that but at least receptions yards wise not eye-popping numbers and the rams just played gronkowski in the bucks and shut him down pretty well so there's a chance they put a similar kind of spin on that and shut him down we'll see kittle had a terrible drop last week i'm so i'm happy i'm happy to listen to reasons why the rams win and i'm certainly not dismissing their chances of winning this game however comparing as good as even if you consider gronkowski to be the greatest tight end of all time comparing gronkowski now in 2022 to george kittle is such an insult to george kittle i mean he looked just done 
in that game. He was lumbering. I know he made, you know, one or two big catches as they started to come back into it, but he, I mean, there was the one moment when he got kind of open and made a pretty big play and probably picked up 30, 35 yards. He caught it and was just immediately looking around for people, you know, the kid, George Kittle or Gronkowski in the past would have been trying to go for the end zone. And Gronkowski instead was, I think, hoping someone could tackle him as soon as possible because he probably can't make it past 40 yards anyway. But I will do my reasons why or how the Rams can win this game. I think you're 100% right on the pressure and forcing Jimmy G to put in situations where he makes mistakes. I think the bad news for the Niners in that respect, I mean, A, you've had the Rams have had pressure by seven different Rams players have combined for 46 pressures in the postseason so far. So they are getting pressure from everywhere. Not then the Niners are not then helped by the fact that Trent Williams did not play today, did not practice today. He picked up an injury late in the game against the Packers. And you're talking about probably the best left tackle in the game. Someone, if you're going to who you're going to try and stop the pass, the, the rush, you're definitely going to need. And so either having him when he only came back last week, to have him be injured again is a real shame for the Niners. Don't know whether or not he'll play. Seems unclear at this point, but definitely he's not going to be totally healthy. So that's a blow. Now, worth saying, while Shanahan has come out and said he did not get injured on the play where he lined up his fullback, which I know got a lot of social media shares of just Trent Williams demolishing a couple <laughs> defensive players. What I did like Shanahan saying whilst denying that that was how Trent Williams got injured, he did say, I do not know how that's legal. And I thought that was an interesting <laughs> thing. But so anyway, that is one of the reasons why I think the Rams could win. I also think we've spoken about too, this Niners team, although they came back from 17 points down against the Rams in week 18, not built to come from behind. And this Rams team has shown itself to be a really fast starter. In recent weeks, saw it against. Why did we get rid of Sam? <laughs> Why? Our listeners might have picked up on it. You can keep going. No, you got You can't hide it from me. I'm going to hear it back when I listen to it before the listeners get it. What did you say? The Niners aren't good at doing. Coming from behind. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so yes, they are not good. In mounting comebacks, do you prefer that? However, um, I don't know this, if mounting is team, much a better word, but okay. <laughs> this Rams team has been a fast starter in recent weeks. They obviously were against the Niners. They were against the Bucks last week when they were twenty to three up at halftime, and then they were against the Cardinals when they were twenty one zero up at halftime. So they've definitely shown, and and we've we've always said this. You know, we mentioned it a lot when plays are scripted. In the you know you're on your first possession, maybe second possession, the Rams have shown themselves to be incredibly efficient in those scripted situations. So there's every chance they rush out to a lead. And whilst the Niners did it in Week 18, I definitely don't, as a Niners fan, want to be in a situation where they're down by multiple scores and having to maybe pick a different game plan mid-game. And my other reason would be that the Niners, who were the lead, leading the league early on in terms of their red zone efficiency, I think it over getting touchdowns on something like 67% of their red zone possessions early in the season, that's kind of dropped off and gone back to what you would more expect for a league average. That's a bad sign because this could well be a shootout. 
and you're going to be in a situation where you want to be as efficient as possible in the red zone. So the fact that there is a little bit of a drop off there and that their run game on in w- within the red zone might not be quite as dangerous as it was at one moment, that's not great. So I think those I think if you're the Rams, you want this to be a high scoring game. You want to put the, the Niners in a situation where it feels like a shootout. And if that happens, I think there's concerns that at some point cracks will show in Jimmy G in that offense. Yeah. For for me, I'm going to take the Rams here to get the final revenge. I just think they're a, a more talented roster, especially with some of these late additions in, in Von Miller, who's played well since getting here, Odell Beckham, who's played well since joining the team. I will say 20... 23-17, somewhere around there. So I'm going to take the Rams to win, the Rams to cover, and I'm going to take the under in this one. I agree with you. I don't think the Niners of late, besides that win in the against the Rams, I don't think they've scored over more than 20 points in the past six weeks. So I don't see them putting up a ton of points. Well, we are going to be total opposites here. I am taking the Niners to win, the Niners with the points, and I am taking the over. And I know that over the course of this week, one other thing we are undoubtedly going to hear repeated time and time again is that it's a disadvantage for the Niners to have played the Rams twice and how history shows that if you swept the regular season series, you lose in the playoffs. This is a trope that I think appears basically every postseason but i we gave the, i just gave the stats 20 to 12 are teams that have swept so no i know <laughs> but i'm just saying we are going to hear it you know I, I we heard it we've definitely heard it i think we heard it last year bucks saints i want to say did they play each other in the postseason but i feel like you hear it almost every postseason and every time people talk about how it is a disadvantage for the team but yeah i think uh i I'm not super confident, I will say, but I'm somewhat confident. Now, I guess that wraps up our NFL coverage for the week. Yeah, stats galore. Stat extravaganza. True. I love when you tap into pro football focus because I love pro football focus. I spend way too much time seeing how poorly all the Giants roster is graded on pro football focus (laughs) i will like out of random points text my dad the giants don't have anyone in the top 15 of any position in pro football focus it's just it's you get lost sometimes looking at all the the analysis and the grading they have there i love it i'm an analytics guy i feed off it (laughs) i'm typically not i mean i like the i like a good stat but i'm not i'm definitely not someone who's going to be sort of scouring through the statistics to find something that appeals to me. But for a playoff round, I'll take a closer look. If I'm stat guy, then what are you? <laughs> Feelings guy? That was Sam. You can't take no, that's that. Sam. <laughs> I'm stat no, guy. No. Sam's feelings guy. <laughs> I'm just the right guy, I guess. You're the gut guy. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, that's the, that does mean the same. I know you're making that. It does, it does mean the same as the feelings guy, though. Uh, but yeah. And oh, I mean, said this week must have been tough for you, though, with Ben Roethlisberger announcing his retirement. Avid listeners of the podcast will know just how much you admired him 
and how what what a big of a fan you were of him and the Steelers. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Steelers now instantly become a playoff team, right? Got rid of Big Ben. They're good to go now. It is hard to imagine them having someone. And again, it's not a knock on how good Roethlisberger was at at times over his career. You know, there's and we've spoken about other elements of his legacy on previous episodes. However, the past couple of seasons, he has been I mean, he looks like he's running through mud. I mean, there was one moment right against who was it against the Browns when he just sacked himself when he like <laughs> fell over. So, so there is definitely it's hard to imagine them having a downgrade at the quarterback position. Unless it's Mason Rudolph, then as a downgrade. Yeah, but well, <laughs> just because he's too busy throwing racial slurs around to focus on actually completing passes. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we've discussed it previously. He was a good player on the field, and you know he's a two-time Super Bowl champion, six-time Pro Bowler, and quite the player off the field. <laughs> okay, way to make light of sexual abuse allegations, Eddie. Assault, assault. I don't think he was ever accused of sexually abusing anyone; just sexually assaulting them. Not to say that that's a good thing. But I do think their accusations were firmly in the sexual assault. And I think more than accusations, but were yeah. firmly in the sexual assault category. Actually, Eddie, no, speaking of, on that topic oh, real quick, you'll be happy to know I was listening to ESPN radio and I, I think it was the Spain and Fitz show and they were on your side, Eddie, and, and were making a strong case that everything has kind of been brushed under the rug and people are failing to bring up the fact that as good of a player he was on the field, he had many, many issues off the field that people just seem to forget happened and acknowledge and that it's a major disrespect to, you know, all the people that were involved in that situation and how difficult it probably was for them to even speak up and say something. And uh, that, you know, you shouldn't just, just because he was a great player on the field that you, you don't bring up what happened off the field. And I think they were referencing um, who, who announced that last game, Chris Collinsworth had basically brushed by it in his praise of Ben Roethlisberger during the game. No, a hundred percent. And look, I, I definitely think if you were one of the victims, you know, when he's retiring and being spoken about as a pillar within the Pittsburgh community and just what an upstanding member and an inspiration and example for all of us, and you think of what this person has done to you and then, well, it doesn't matter because afterwards he gave some money to charity and kind of turned into a nice guy, but he did something that may or may not have, I mean, certainly will have had a major impact on your life. Who knows how severe of an impact that is, but it, it, that has to be difficult. So I do think, and again, it's not an inconsistency in the NFL. The NFL has shown itself to be a very forgiving league and the, and the, supporting public and the fans of the NFL have shown themselves to be to have short memories when it comes to transgressions of players. I mean, Michael Vick eventually was accepted back in, you know, numerous players who have had, you know, sexual assault allegations and abuse allegations and gun charges and drug charges and, you know, DUIs and pretty much anything. If you can get out of vacuum abuse and it's, Exactly. If you can get out of prison at a time when you are still healthy enough to play in the NFL and young enough to play in the NFL, the NFL will accept you and will forgive you. 
So there is consistency there in some respects. So it would be, I guess, in some ways unfair to single out Ben Roethlisberger for in a way that we won't everyone else, you know, and also to single him out because he's not in terms of what he did, but in terms of who he is, maybe more high profile. So whereas a defensive lineman could do horrific things, but then no one really cares because we don't really know who they are sometimes, a quarterback is going to get far more attention just because of of who they are now. You could argue that the money they earn and the endorsements and everything is the, you know, this is the cost that they pay for it. But it's definitely not an inconsistency, but it's probably not a good thing. And again, I think we should be able to speak about it in a positive light, which is acknowledge what happened, but then speak about his growth. And, and you know, again, what conversation we had previously, there's good parts of cancel culture. Sometimes the bad part of cancel culture is it wants to treat you as if you've done something wrong and you can't improve or learn from it. Maybe he's improved and learned from it, but the only way to be certain that he has is to bring it up from time to time so that he can say that himself and, you know, he doesn't have to constantly apologize for it, but at least acknowledge that at some point in my life, I was not this outstanding person you're making me out to be. Yeah, well said. Now, complete change of course here. You love stats, a stat that I saw this week. Uh, Barcelona are obviously another topic we have mentioned at times on the podcast, struggling financially. Uh, it's part of the reason. <laughs> not according to them. Messi had... <laughs> No, they're fine. No, trying to, they try to, they are taking the Ben Roethlisberger approach and just brushing those finances under the cover. And, and Probably just, just to in the shredder, literally. <laughs> yeah, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, another do, another like late notice arrives on a bill and they just toss that thing immediately. If you don't open it, it doesn't count. But I was interested to see that between 2016 and 2018, Barcelona spent a combined 213 million euros on Andre Gomez, Lucas Dean, Philip Coutinho, and Yeri Mina. All four of those players played in the recent match between Everton and Aston Villa. I thought that was <laughs> money well spent, wow. clearly. Jeez. What for just for reference, what is Everton or Ashton Villa's uh financial report? <laughs> I mean, both clubs Everton have they both have wealthy owners and neither of them are huge spenders. Everton have spent a little bit more. I guess the more interesting thing you're talking about a team that's in Aston Villa's case eleventh in the table, although maybe trending slightly upwards since the appointment of Steven Gerrard as manager. Everton who are also changing manager or yet to appoint their new manager, but having just sacked their manager after their most recent match are 16th in the table. So whilst financially, both of those clubs may be relatively well run uh, and have not spent tremendous money bringing any of those players in, certainly it shows that Barcelona's decision to sign those players for such large sums of money, clearly not a wise one because there was very little resale value and their careers have not developed in the way that they would have expected. I was just asking what the total salaries, though, of Everton or Asheville are. Oh, well, I mean, it's not the U.S., so you can't... It's tough, right? I thought you can get, like, estimates, though, can't you? You can get estimates. I don't know how accurate those things are. I'm just wondering if the $293 million spent on those four players by Barcelona is more than either of those teams spent. <laughs> Well, two hundred and thirteen million. That's just on transfer fees. That's not on salaries. <laughs> That's literally just 
that's just signing them. That's so good. So you, you can add a considerable oh, amount on yeah. top of that in terms of okay salaries. I thought that uh, was everything. I, the, I thought it was everything. No, 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 no. That's no, no. just transfer that's fees. Just, that's wow. just transfer fees. Well, good thing they shredded that so that they don't have to pay it. Yeah. And from the other, uh, another completely different sport too. I don't know if you've seen in tennis. I know we've mentioned the the booing and uh, Medvedev being critical and Andy Murray being critical of the the fans at the Australian Open. They're not booing, Eddie. <laughs> They're doing the Ronaldo celebration. However, they have seemed to have gone completely to booing now. So uh, after Berrettini beat Monfils in his quarterfinal, he to become the first ever Italian to reach the men's semifinals at the Australian Open. He was booed both during the match. Uh, at one point, too, the crowd was so raucous during Monfils's serve that the umpire had to tell them, if you don't want to watch, you can leave, was a statement that the umpire made mid-match. But even during, uh, then during the post-game interview, which, you know, takes place on the court with the player standing there, which is normally a time when they say pretty banal things and the crowd claps and applauses and they kind of wave to them for a bit and nothing is gained, but it's a nice moment for everyone. He was booed throughout this and uh, insulted. There were some swear words thrown in his direction. He responded by saying he couldn't really understand what they were saying, which may or may not have been the case, and that they're probably not real tennis fans, at which he got applause for saying that. Um, <laughs> but generally, fans at the Australian Open have certainly not painted themselves in a positive light this tournament. No, and then... You know, you hear more and more about the Nick Kyrgios, uh, his doubles play, which he's now him and I forget what his partner's name is in the, in the doubles, but they've advanced to the finals and it's going to be an all Australia finals, which I don't really take much into that because I'm sure there's a lot of people that aren't traveling to the Australian Open because of the restrictions. But regardless, there was... Well, from a, from a ten, tennis... No, I think every pretty much everyone was there. Yeah. Doubles is always a weird one because you have the highly seated uh, specialist doubles players. And then you have players like Kyrgios who dip into it. Kyrgios is a, extremely well suited to playing doubles because very good serve and he's very good at the net. Uh, one of the singles players with the best net play in tennis. Um, the downside being he sometimes doesn't maybe concentrate as much as he should and tries kind of weird shots at the net that other players wouldn't do. But it's that's also reflective of just the touch and feel he has for the ball. But it's always weird to me because you get in this weird, you know, they're the top seeded doubles and then they'll come up against someone like that where it is a, um, a you know, a, a primarily a singles player. And most of the time the, the doubles specialists will win. But in this case, Kyrgios and his partner have managed to storm to the final. Yeah, and then in the quarterfinals match was the really controversial one where they were riling up the fans against their opponents to which their opponents did not enjoy. And that was watching some of the antics was pretty ridiculous. And then in the semifinals, I saw Kyrgios had an absolute meltdown and screamed at the, the, uh, the chair umpire and then broke his racket or something like that as well. So pretty standard, but in the finals. Yeah. It's Nick Kyrgios. It's curious, and I also saw in a post-game uh, press conference, uh, someone asked him the question of, well, you've been really entertaining fans over the past couple of weeks. And he said, years, years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Um, and you have to like him, right? He has a he has a lot of charm. I'm always torn because you know I think removing some of the kind of traditional sterile approach to tennis is a good thing from the game for the game and adding personality into the sport. At the same time, I think he sets a bad example for younger players in some of his behavior. Not all of it, but some of it, like the racket smashing and some of the swearing and the yelling and the screaming that goes on. Okay, you can do it when you're playing in professional tennis. If you're doing it as a kid, you're just a brat. So, and as someone who played tennis growing up, played against people like that, and it's awful. So, you know, you're setting a really bad example for younger generations. I think that's the shame. And there's so much, you know, there's great aspects to his personality. And it's a shame that sometimes the things that, the stories that can take over are the negative things. But what I did find interesting, a stati- another statistic for the podcast, and this one really took me by surprise, that this is the first time in 33 Grand Slams on the men's side, on either the men's or the women's side of the draw, that there are no first-time semifinalists. Now, considering that a lot of the hmm. major, aside from Nadal... I think, well, Medvedev and Tsitsipas, bigger names, but I think for the most part, if you definitely think on the men's side where there's no Djokovic, no Federer, Murray didn't make it, you know, Vavrinka, who in recent years, particularly at the, Australi- at the Australian Open, has been pretty good. It's surprising that, and then if you look on the women's side, no Serena Williams, uh, Halep didn't make it. Some of the bigger names have all failed to make the semifinals, and yet everyone who's made it has been there before. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Yeah, and I guess since I'm the stats guy slash analytics guy, I want to end on the Patrick Mahomes article with his Whoop device, which tracks his heart rate and it tracks other things as well. But I mostly use it just for heart rate. It tells you a lot about strain and recovery, which is really neat. But it's just cool to kind of see how your heart rate fluctuates during an activity, you know, like when I play hockey and things like that. And you can relate it back to certain points of the game, which is kind of neat. And that's what they have done with Mahomes is they took his his entire heart rate from the game and kind of analyzed it and broke it down during specific points of the game. So what was neat is his average heart rate was 144 beats per minute. His lowest it ever got was 179 beats. Uh, lowest was 79 beats per minute. And the highest it ever got was 191, which was his first quarter rushing touchdown, which is interesting that it never got that high at the end of the game with everything going on. Um, but during that 64-yard touchdown pass to Tyree Kill with a minute left, it was at 171. And then even when he was on the sidelines and uh, Harrison Bucker kicked that game-tying field goal, it still went up to 162. So pretty cool to see. I, I wish they would do it. I mean, I know they can't right now, but kind of how the Ryder Cup was doing it live as they were kind of teeing off, you could see it. It'll be cool when they integrate that and you can kind of see sometimes or once in a while. They don't have to do it during the play, but maybe like as he's going to the huddle, it'll just like flash up what his heart rate is. would be kind of neat. I think that'd be cool to see. I don't need Chris Collinsworth telling me about what Patrick Mahomes' heart rate is as they're in the in the huddle. I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of interesting data. It's at the same... It, it, in some sense, 
it's surprising at the others in the other ways it kind of makes like look if he was off the charts constantly throughout the game probably not going to perform pretty well and it makes sense that his heart rate goes very high in situations where he's actually not in control and he kind of just turns into a fan yeah sitting there and i mean i know anyone who knows if you're spectating and you're the team you support is is there and you've got no control over it your heart rate can get going pretty fast too. Yep. Even Tony so, Romo, when Bucker was going to kick that field goal, screamed out, I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate football fan, Tony Romo, which is why I love to, when he announces. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, yeah, it, it's kind of, I, and, I don't know. The, I take all of it with a little pinch of salt. Yeah, me too. I think it's just cool. It just adds a little layer to the game and how you can kind of interpret it a little. The interesting one was his total calories burned during that game was 2,347 calories during that game, which is more than the standard amount that a male should eat in a day, <laughs> 2,000 calories. So he burns a significant amount during that game. That seems kind of low to me. It's not. For someone who who uses the Whoop every day and does a ton of activities – like that to me is a lot considering I'll do seven, eight mile hikes up a mountain and I still can only maybe get to like 13, 1400 calories is when I max out at. How long does that hike take you? Like f- five hours, six hours. Okay. So the length of a football game. Yeah. A little of, more. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. it's a decent amount. Cause you gotta remember too, he's not playing the entire time. He's only playing half the game. No, but he's still he has ner- there's the nervous energy which is still going to yeah. be contributing kind of like with that heart rate being so high when yeah. he's sitting and he's still doing, you know, whether he's warming up his arm or you know there's activities going on the sidelines that will still be contributing to his to his calorie burn. Like I don't know. I, I would have probably guessed higher. Sam if he'd been on probably would have guessed like 45,000. We can remember how <laughs> yeah. out of touch he was with stuff like that. That's funny. Uh <laughs> oh. All right. Well, with that, I will I will have my whoop on during the games. And if it's a very intense game and for some reason I have a lot of money on the line, maybe I can get a live video of how high my heart rate gets. But chances are sure most fans. of that won't happen. <laughs> you mean none of it? <laughs> I'd say chances are none of that happens. Okay. Certainly the key thing, which is you live streaming your whoop, almost certainly won't happen. Well, they have a video part portion of their app that you can like record yourself with all the vitals on the side. How much is a whoop per month? Mm, I don't know. I just, I just put it in the shredder. I don't pay for it. <laughs> I think it's 20 a month. All right. And do you think it's worth it? No. <laughs> well, there we go. Not a sponsor. Probably won't be a sponsor. No, it's but hey, if the, you... the data is really, really neat. I don't use it to the extent I should for it to be worth the money. I'm using it to literally send to my friends, like, look how crazy this game of hockey was I just played. My heart rate was at 80% max almost the entire game. But I'm not using the data where they then tell you, you know, you need to recover this much to be efficient to do this much activity the next day. I don't use that to my advantage. And I probably should, but I just, I just, do whatever I want to do when I want to do it and why I probably feel like shit most days because I'm not listening to them. But it, that, that part of it then becomes worth it. If you're a serious athlete and you can kind of use that as an extra tool into optimizing your performance for sure. 
lot of buzzwords oh, there in there. Go. A lot of buzzwords. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, hey, look, we'll set that up as a little YouTube video and see if that goes viral with just the question, is Whoop worth it? That'll yeah. probably end up getting our most views. That will be our little short clip. And hey, if anyone from Whoop is watching this in the future and you want to change Frank's mind and sponsor the podcast, a little bit of money and you can get, is Whoop worth it? 100% yes. I'd get two. Wear one on each wrist. They have their own podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, but. They had Mahomes, they had Mahomes mean, on a few months ago. <laughs> that doesn't mean that they don't sponsor other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, alright. All right. I'll talk to you later. See ya. Cheerio.